Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. What is the book of Proverbs all about? And what can this book teach you about wisdom? Join Jerry Werewell as he leads you through Proverbs to gain key insights to be able to read it and benefit from it on your own. Proverbs are not merely cutesy, clever sayings, but helpful insights into how to act in a given situation. Although you may think of the Bible's Proverbs as unconditional promises, they are, in fact, practical principles that generally work. Join Jerry Werewell as he explains how Proverbs can provide us with simple wisdom for a complicated world. Here now is episode 294, Proverbs, with Jerry Werewell. I titled this, Simple Wisdom for a Complicated World. I read that online somewhere, I was like, That's, that is actually really good. That's what Proverbs is. It's just simple wisdom to deal with the complexities of life. Now, before we get started, I want to talk about what is a proverb. So the word proverb, it actually comes from a Hebrew word, mashal. And it means a, a likeness to something or something to be compared with. And this Hebrew word mashal uh, indicates what a proverb is, where we think of it as like, oh, something really clever, perhaps. But actually, the mashal is more about taking something that is known and using it then to understand something that is unknown. And that's what Proverbs does. Proverbs will take familiar settings, familiar objects, and it will use them to then explain something unfamiliar. It'll take something that maybe we know in everyday life or that we experience and say, look at it differently and how it relates to this. It can be like this, or take this and compare it with that. That's mashal. That is what a proverb is. So when we talk about wise sayings, yes, they're, they're very important for uh, correct decision-making and things like that, but really it's about understanding something complex by using what is simple. Now, the book of Proverbs actually is not just one book. It's actually a collection of several different uh, saying groups. Like, there, there's a lot of different parts to the book, uh, seven in total, and Solomon is attributed to a majority of them. Uh, there are, uh, at the end, Agur and King Lemuel, and there's some others that are described as being contributing to this book, but by and large, it's a book of Proverbs from King Solomon. And the different sections actually are not all the same. Chapters 1 through 9, which we'll, we'll spend some time looking at, is much different than chapters 10 to 29. And then chapter 30 and 31 are also distinct. And maybe if you have read Proverbs before, you know the uh, famous chapter 31 of Proverbs about the, the wise woman or the virtuous woman, uh, depending upon what translation you read. So... King Solomon, if you guys remember, I think Stan also stole some thunder as well last night when he talked about King Solomon receiving wisdom from the Lord. Uh, that's in, if you guys want to turn to it, I'm going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. So Solomon, he goes to Gibeon, 
and he offers a thousand burnt offerings there to honor the Lord. And the Lord comes to him in a vision. And God says, ask, what should I give you? Solomon gets a, basically a blank check from the Lord. Ask what you want and I'll give it to you. He could have anything. What does he ask for? Wisdom. And as Stan pointed out, he asked for wisdom so that he could rule God's people. And because Solomon asked for wisdom, God gives him everything else that he could have had. It says here in uh, 1 Kings 3.10, Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this, to have wisdom. So God said to him, Because you requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked for discernment for yourself to understand justice. I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no man in any kingdom will be your equal during your entire life. If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commands just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Solomon was given wisdom beyond anybody else. He was the wisest man on earth. And from his wisdom, we are receiving these proverbs. It says at the end of chapter 4, 1 Kings 4, it says that Solomon, God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight, and understanding, this is verse 29, as vast as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than all the wisdom of the people of the east, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite and Heman, Kakol, and Darda, sons of Mahol. His reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. Solomon composed 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. Verse 34 says, People came from everywhere, sent by every king on earth, who had heard of his wisdom, to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Solomon basically was known for his wisdom and everybody came to look to him to understand things in the world. And that's what we're doing when we come to Proverbs. We're coming to Solomon for wisdom. We're coming to learn from him to know how we should behave, how we can interact. And if we're overseers of people in different, in work or in Christian ministry or whatever, how to relate to people in the right and godly way. What uh, I want to teach you is I want to teach you this uh, one Hebrew word, chokmah. Chokmah. Everybody say it with me. Chokmah. Now, now you, you really have to like get this down here in the throat, like chokmah. Chokmah. That's wisdom. Chokmah is wisdom. And so if I ever say, what do we want? I want you to say chokmah. Before I get into Proverbs, there is something I wanted to show you that I think will, you know, uh, pictures can say a thousand words. I want to play a small video, it's about four minutes, and it'll introduce some of the themes that I'll talk about in Proverbs, okay? Okay. 
There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life. Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective. And it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything, work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah, And it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who's willing to listen to her and to learn. Which leads to the second thing Proverbs believes, that anyone can access and interact with wisdom and use it to make a beautiful life for yourself or for others. You can create with it like a designer. Yes, in fact, chokmah in Hebrew isn't simply intellectual knowledge. The word is also used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft, like woodworking or stonemasonry. So you show you possess chokmah when you put it to work and develop the skill of making a good life. Okay, that makes sense. So let's do this. Let's go find some wisdom. But before you do, Proverbs has one more really important thing to consider. Chokmah isn't some impersonal force. It's an attribute of God himself. And so in Hebrew thought, your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It's this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them. Now, all those ideas you just unpacked are in chapters 1 through 9 in Proverbs. But when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of the collection of sayings, the Proverbs themselves. Tell me about those. Yeah, those are what you find in chapters 10 on to the end of the book. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs about any and all aspects of life. And chokmah gets applied to them, resulting in this wise guidance to help you find a path towards success and no matter what you do. If I design my life with these sayings, life is going to be good. Yeah, or as Proverbs puts it, it'll give health to your bones, prosperity, a long, rich life. Which is a really big claim. But you can see how it's often the case. Wise people, they tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that is the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs.
Let's return to the theme of Proverbs here in 1, 7 and 9, 10. And the video just uh, touched on it here briefly that basically in order to get a hold of wisdom, it begins with the fear of Yahweh. And as Stan talked about last night, you know, it's that proper attitude. See, wisdom is about understanding that God has set certain types of relationship dynamics, uh, certain types of life circumstances and behaviors and ways of speaking, communicating that are for right living. There's a wrong way to do life. And to do life in the wrong way is to not have chokmah. Because what do we want? Chokmah. So the fear of Yahweh is the starting point of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is the starting point of understanding. Fools despise chokmah. To not want chokmah is to be a fool. I don't think anybody raised their hand last night when Stan asked if you wanted to be a fool, right? No, everybody knows they need wisdom. But to appreciate and understand the value of wisdom, it's not just to nod and say, yeah, I think that's, that's wise. To not have it actually realize that, oh, actually I should probably be trying to incorporate that into my life. See, there's a big difference between knowing that something is wise and actually taking that and then living that wisdom. Now, wisdom doesn't have to be like super profound. Actually, I want to tell a, a story here. Uh, Charles M. Schwab, not the same guy as the Charles R. Schwab, which is the financial investment company. This guy actually uh, was back at the beginning of the 20th century uh, with D uh, Andrew Carnegie and uh, Rockefeller with the oil and steel industry. He owned this big company called uh, Bethlehem Steel Shipmaking Company. And he ran this massive company and just found himself like overwhelmed. So much to do and he, he was so frustrated he couldn't get it done. So one of his friends, actually John Rockefeller, recommended he talk to this one managing consultant, this guy named Ivy Lee. And Ivy Lee basically came in and uh, Charles Schwab was like, you know, help me, help me figure out how to run this business better. So Ivy was like, okay, well, give me 15 minutes with your executives. So he gets them in a room and he talks to them. And basically, he tells them to make a list of the six most important things to do that day. Start with number one. Focus on it until you complete it. Then go to number two. Do as many of those that day as you can. Whatever's left over, put that at the top of the list for the next day. Follow your week day by day with that paradigm. And they said, in one month, however valuable you think this advice was, send me, a pay send me payment. Now, wow, that, that doesn't seem like it's really complicated, does it? Well, actually, Charles Schwab, after a month, sent Ivy Lee a check for $25,000. And back at the turn of the 20th century, that would equivocate to today of about $400,000 for just saying, write a list of priorities and stick to it. <laughs> wow, I mean, that, <laughs> see, but that's wise. It's wise because it's saying, hey, focus. Focus on what you need to do, and you'll be more productive. See, wisdom doesn't have to be this super clever Confucius saying about, about life. It, it can just be simple, practical wisdom to help life go right, to live the good life. Now, in the book of Proverbs, in chapters 1 through 9, as the video explained, we meet this character called wisdom, referred to as Lady Wisdom. But actually, she's not the only character there's actually a dualistic nature 
here to Proverbs where there's two different women that are portrayed. One is Lady Wisdom, and the other is Lady Folly. This dichotomy is pretty clearly laid out in Proverbs, and we see it the way that they're each described. Uh, sometimes in a story, though, you, you don't really know who the protagonist is or the antagonist, but in Proverbs, it's pretty obvious. You know, uh, just like in some other stories that we, we might know. Aha! You guys know this storyline, don't you? Who's the bad guy? Vader. <laughs> Vader. But it's, it's pretty obvious, but that, that's the way that Proverbs also portrays it. it. It portrays wisdom in this really great light and portrays Lady Folly in this terrible light. And, and Proverbs' wisdom of Solomon is there's trying to show how far apart these two are. But the difficulty is that while we might read and understand they're so far apart, in actuality, they come quite close to each other, and we'll see why. So, Lady Wisdom, if you want to, turn to Proverbs chapter 2. And we'll read the way that Proverbs characterizes wisdom here. Okay, verse 1. My son. See, Proverbs is, is addressed to uh, Solomon's son here, which it doesn't mean that it's not applicable to, to daughters or, or anything like that. It's just the nature of the perspective is, is male-oriented. And that's why wisdom is described in, in, in a feminine way. And wisdom is going to be described as this very attractive woman because Solomon's talking to his sons to try to say that, hey, you should like this woman, not that woman, metaphorically. So wisdom is personified as, as a female, and the address is typically to sons, but it applies across the board to, to young adults in general. My son, if you receive my words and store up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Direct your heart to discernment. For if you call out to understanding, if you raise your voice to discernment, if you seek her like silver and search for her like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and you will find the knowledge of God. For Yahweh gives wisdom, for from his mouth comes forth knowledge and discernment. He has stored up sound advice for the upright, a shield for those who walk blamelessly, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his loyal ones. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and integrity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, and discernment will guard you, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the ones speaking perverse things, from the ones who forsake the upright paths, to walk on the roads of darkness, from the ones who are glad in doing evil, who rejoice in evil perversions, from those whose paths are twisted, and from the devious in their ways, and to deliver you from the strange woman and the foreign woman who is flattering you with her words." who leaves the mate of her youth and has forgotten the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths lead to the dead. That's, that's wisdom. That's what wisdom can give. That's what wisdom, wisdom can protect us from. From the people who have left the upright paths, who walk on the roads of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil, who like perversions, whose paths are twisted and they're devious. But I like back at the beginning, in verse 4, it says, if you seek her like silver, if you seek chokmah like silver and search for her like hidden treasure, 
Then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and you will find the knowledge of God. I want to tell you another story here about a guy named Howard Carter. He was also at the turn of the 20th century as well. And Howard Carter is an archaeologist. And uh, he's famous because, uh, I, won't, I don't want to spoil the end of the story, he discovered something pretty big. But it, it took him a long time to, to find it. He was in Egypt digging, and he almost lost his career, but then there was an Englishman, Lord Carnarvon, who actually uh, is from the region in England where Downton Abbey, I guess, takes place. But he uh, basically became Carter's benefactor and sponsored him to continue digging and searching for something that everybody said wasn't there. He had multiple colleagues tell him, what you're looking for here in Egypt in the Valley of the Kings it's all, it's all been searched out. Everything's been discovered. You don't need to spend your time there anymore. But Carter had found a couple pieces of linen, some personal items with an inscription on it that led him to believe that, no, there was more here. There's, more, there's something to be found. So he got uh, employed by Lord Carnarvon to continue searching. And over the course of almost a decade of their relationship, he really had found nothing. Nothing of real importance. And Lord Conovan called him and said, you know, I'm, I, think, I think you've given enough effort. We're gonna, I'm going to call it off. But Carter, so passionate about trying to seek this treasure, this hidden treasure, convinced him, like, one more season. Give me one more digging season. And if I can't find anything, okay, we'll, we'll be done. Toward the end of that season, he discovered something. He discovered a staircase in the Valley of the Kings, a little bit down from where he was, where he originally thought it was. And this staircase led to a crypt, a tomb of a king of Egypt that was actually not really very famous. It was a little boy king that um, really was a no-name king, honestly. But he found the first intact Egyptian mummy there. And this Egyptian mummy actually has become world, world famous. And you might know the name as King Tut. He found King Tutankhamun, the most well-preserved Egyptian tomb in history and the most thoroughly unplundered royal treasury. And so, all because he was passionate to seek the treasure and was not willing to give up and was not dissuaded by people who told him to quit. That's what I see when Proverbs says, if you seek chokmah, like silver, like hidden treasure, there is something great to be found there. Don't let anybody dissuade you from that. Don't anybody tell you that, oh, that, that Bible, yeah, I've, I've read it, it's okay, or, yeah, I've read the Proverbs, they're nice, they're good, you know. No, if you seek for it, you will find it. I'm going to give you one more uh, characteristic here uh, in Proverbs chapter 9. Now, we're going to get into uh, some of the comparison here. We're going to go from Lady Wisdom to Lady Folly. Let's read something here about Lady Wisdom. Proverbs 9. Verse 1, it says, Lady Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out seven, her seven pillars. She's slaughtered her meat, has mixed her wine. Indeed, she has prepared her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the tops of the heights of the town. 
Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To the one lacking sense, she says, Come, eat my bread and drink my wine that I have mixed. Leave your naive ways and live. And go straight ahead on the road of understanding. So Lady Wisdom says, whoever is naive, whoever doesn't know, whoever lacks the understanding, let them turn in here. Come to me. Eat the food that I have prepared. Which is just a metaphor for come and learn from wisdom. Learn chokmah. Now this is different if you go to verse 13. We'll see that there's actually now another character introduced. Verse 13, lady folly or foolishness. She's boisterous. She's rowdy. She's rude. She lacks an understanding and does not know anything. And she sits at the entrance of her house on a throne at the heights of the city, calling out to those passing by on the road, to the ones making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And she says to the one lacking sense, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there. The ones who have accepted her invitation are in the depths of Sheol. That's a much different outcome. But what I want to say is, she's calling out and saying the same thing. She's saying, turn in, turn in here, and eat what I have. Stolen waters and bread in secret. She's basically trying to trick people. and She's trying to trick the ones, it says here, who are making their paths straight. The ones who are wanting to walk on the right road. She's calling to them and turning them aside. But that's what we deal with in the world, isn't it? We deal with distractions. We deal with competing influences. We deal with Lady Folly. See, chokmah doesn't just come naturally. We have to seek her. And what's interesting about the way that Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are compared here is that they're compared as being saying the same thing and, and being really similar, but yet so far apart. Now, I want to tell you guys a quick story about this man. Wolfgang Beltracci. Beltracci. I, I'm not Italian, I don't know. <laughs> this man, he was never really trained to be an artist, but he became an artist and, and was really good at it. What made him famous was that what he would do is he would study the art of famous artists and then he would replicate it. Uh, back in the early 2000s, several very famous paintings were forged by him. And uh, he would try to get into the mindset of these painters and then do what they did. And he did it really well. It was almost indistinguishable. But his season of luxury came to an end. He would sign his name on the paintings rather than the original painter. And that caused some suspicion. And then one of his paintings was brought in and tested for authenticity. And they tested one of the pigments, a white pigment, that had titanium in it. Well, back when the painting was made, uh, I think in the 1800s, 
titanium didn't exist. And they uh, ended up tracing it back to him, and then they started testing other paintings of his and founding out that they're all forgeries. But during his stint, he had accumulated $100 million in revenue selling forged paintings. This man is the goat of art forgery. <laughs> He's the greatest, really. He, he has done more forged art and sold more fake paintings looking like the real thing. And even some of them, people don't want to come out and say that they have a forged painting because they paid so much for it. But that, that was his whole thing. He, he could make his work look so much like the real thing that people bought it. And him and his wife did this whole, this whole scam together, and they both went to jail for it. But that's kind of like what we deal with with Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom. We have these two that sometimes they look so similar or at least Lady Folly tries to present herself as being wise or as offering, offering something like what Lady Wisdom could offer. And that's the main point of this dichotomy is that you have Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly and they represent these two roads in life. The road, the right road, and the wrong road, the road of righteousness, the road of wickedness. The, the thing that, that Proverbs tries to tell us is that the end of those roads is very different. It may look like they start close together. The, the lines may be a little bit blurred uh, if you're not careful, if you don't have what? Chokmah! Yeah, we speak Hebrew in here, Jacob. <laughs> Just tease man. <laughs> the end of folly Death, failure, poverty, suffering, distress, hatred. These are the things that Proverbs says, the road that folly has, you will end up getting this. How, but on the other side, if you, do, if you follow chokmah, you get life, success, prosperity, safety, peace, friendship, romance, the good life. That's what Proverbs is trying to get us to see, is that you really have to know what is valuable, not just consent to it, but to, to strive after it, to seek it. Now, for the time that I have left, I want to try to talk about reading Proverbs. How to read Proverbs. Proverbs uh, has a couple different li literary forms, or like it looks indifferent. And uh, chapters 1 through 9 have a larger stanzas uh, that are called admonitory speeches. And this is where Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are often depicted, and there's some other characteristics of, of marriage, money, faithfulness, uh, something, some things dealing with uh, work as well. And then there's shorter sayings, which is chapters 10 through 30, basically, or 29. Uh, 30 has some longer multi-line statements, too. And then 31 is, is a massive poem, basically. And the devices that are predominantly employed in Hebrew poetry is this device called parallelism. It's basically just saying two lines in some relation to each other. And there's three different kinds that I want to go through real quick with you. One is called synonymous, means that the two lines say the same thing. Antithetic, meaning the two lines say the opposite thing. And synthetic, meaning the two lines work together to say something bigger. And there's also personification that I've also introduced with Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And they're described as, as doing things, and like guarding us, protecting us, helping us, or Lady Folly uh, in, ensnaring us, trapping us, killing us. 
You know what I mean? Like it, so that's personification. Uh, let's do really quick some of this parallelism stuff here. Synonymous parallelism. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before disaster and a puffed up spirit before stumbling. This is basically just saying two lines, the same thing. It's just trying to point out that when you think you know everything, you're probably going to end up hurting yourself. Because when you know everything, what do you do? You stop looking where you're going. You think you got it all. You don't see the hole coming in front of you. You don't see the post right in your way. You just run right into it. Pride and puffed up spirit. Stumbling and disaster. It's just telling us that to, to be humble is to prevent this pain and suffering. Humility is what we want. Is, that's the idea of this proverb. Next one. Antithetical. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over all transgressions. Here you have one line and then another line that says the opposite. And usually the conjunction is the word but. This, but not that. It's this. So it's, it's, it's contrasting these two lines together. Hatred. What's the, what does hatred produce? Well, it says hatred stirs up strife. And then the opposite of hatred, it says, but love. Rather, what does love do? Well, love doesn't stir up strife. Love covers over all transgressions. Now, the interesting thing that Proverbs does in these small little statements is it gets you to think more about them, to think deeper. For example, whose transgressions? If love covers over all transgressions, is it your transgressions? Is it the other person's transgressions? It, see, it, it begs the question to be like, hmm, how, how can this really apply? And that's one of the great things about Proverbs. Proverbs are true, but there are also lots of ways to look at them. And as we'll see that, there are exceptions to Proverbs as well. Proverbs aren't like these ironclad rules or formulas. Let's do this last uh, type of parallelism here. Synthetic parallelism. Proverbs 20, 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a person, but afterwards his mouth will be filled with gravel. So these two lines are now coordinating with each other in some way to produce a bigger picture, to understand something more than what one line could do on their own. Bread gained by deceit. Bread stands for something desired, something beneficial. You, you get something through dishonest means or, or wrongful means. It, it might seem good, might seem helpful. You know, maybe adjusting your taxes maybe to get a bigger tax cut, adjusting your hours at work, uh, telling somebody something not quite true for your advantage, trying to skip out on uh, fulfilling a certain uh, job request completely and still billing the person for the full amount. Or There's all kinds of ways you can get bread dishonestly. But afterwards it says, well, there's an effect. You know, be careful. Your mouth might be filled with gravel. Now that's quite an image. Anybody ever chewed gravel around here? I haven't, but I have had a mouth of sand before, and it's not pleasant. And also, I don't know if you've if you ever had sand in your mouth, but it doesn't seem to go away. You rinse your mouth out, and it's still greedy and grindy, and it, it sticks. You know, so there's a lot of different ways to look at it. It could be that, oh, you might be hurt because you might chip your tooth chewing on gravel. Or it might be, oh, the effects will be long-lasting because it's hard to get all that stuff out of your mouth once it's in. You know, there's, there's depth to Proverbs that forces us to contemplate it. I also want to talk about, there are some 
aspects of Proverbs that I just want to explain to help you understand the way to see them. So let's go through a couple Proverbs here, and, and you'll probably get the gist. Okay, so Proverbs assumes there's a fundamental relationship between the natural and moral social order in the world. An example of this, I think, is Proverbs chapter 6, uh, 6 through 8. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. What this proverb is saying is, look at nature. Look what nature does. And nature doesn't even need to be instructed to do this. You're a human being. You're a little bit smarter. Do you need to be instructed to do these type of things that are just natural? Such as, there's a time to harvest, and there's a time to store. The ants seem to know this, don't, don't we? It's like, there, there's a way to look at nature and understand that, oh, there are just proper ways to do things. And to go against the natural order of things, Proverbs says, is to go against the divine intention. The next one, Proverbs assumes that the physical and moral universe operates by the principle of cause and effect. And this might seem a little too simplistic, as the video explained, to say that something then causes something else all the time. But what it's trying to say is that there's a relationship between uh, what you do and then what happens. Proverbs 12, 21, it says, No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Well, um, you know, that, that's not always true. I, I think there are some righteous people who have fallen on hard times. And I think there are some wicked people who are living some pretty stinking good life. But what it's trying to say is that doing things right will more often, will generally lead to not being hurt. Doing things right will lead to not suffering, while doing things wicked will lead to trouble, will lead to pain, will lead to suffering and disaster, calamity. I mean, that's why we have a justice system, so that people recognize there's a cause and effect to doing what's wrong. And that's what Proverbs is saying, is, is just in the world, is that things will tend to go right if you do what's right. And things will tend to go wrong if you do what's wrong. Now here's a big one. Proverbs contains practical principles, not unconditional promises. Meaning, when you read Proverbs, Proverbs are true. Proverbs are divinely inspired wisdom. But you have to understand that they're principles, not this formulaic expression, not these unconditional promises. Let's look at Proverbs 13 here. Verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Well, what if you get a lot of money all of a sudden? Does that mean it's going gonna, it's gonna to dwindle? No. And if you, if you gain like maybe an inheritance, so you sell, a, sell something and you gain a lot of money, what it's saying is that if you're not prepared to steward the money, you will lose it. It takes hokma to be able to wisely handle finances. So if you gain a lot of money and you're not prepared to handle it, yeah, it, it, it'll slip through your fingers. But if you gain money little by little, 
You're able to store it. You're able to save it. You're able to know how to hold on to it. That's just the, that's the, the principle. It's not a promise. They're just guidelines for life. Proverbs are intended to be brief and catchy. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Well, it's supposed to be punchy and to the point and memorable. But I don't know, have you guys ever known a lie to kind of linger around for a while? Some lies may never go away, it just seems, you know. But what it's, what it's trying to get us to understand is that telling the truth is better than telling a lie. A lie is described as being like this really ephemeral, temporal thing that just poof, it goes away. You don't, you don't want your words to just go away. So tell the truth, and, your tr and the truth will last. And here, lastly, distinguish. When you read Proverbs, you need to distinguish between what is described and prescribed. In Proverbs 14, 20, it says, The poor person is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich person has many friends. Now, this is describing a type of scenario in the world where typically people uh, disdain the poor. People look down on the poor. People don't want to befriend the poor in general. The world looks along at the poor uh, distastefully, uh, spurns them. But the rich, everybody likes to have rich friends, right? You know, the rich have many friends. Well, actually, the rich are some of the loneliest people in the world. If you do, they've done studies on it. So this is just this is describing something, not prescribing. This is the way it's gonna be. This is not the way the world is. Like poor people have friends. Poor people have poor people are treated well in different places. But by and large, people don't like the poor. People like rich people. And it's not saying that you're supposed to like rich people and supposed to, you know, not like poor people. It's just, it's describing the world so you can understand when people have a bad attitude about the poor. It's because they don't like them. And Proverbs says you should expect that. You should expect lady folly to be at work in the world. You should expect people to not have what? Chokmah. Because it takes time, effort, and it takes patience to build chokmah into our lives. I wish I could spend a lot more time talking to you guys about what? Chokmah. Because it is the foundation of godly living. And Proverbs is one of the premier places in the Bible where you can find it. But it's not the type of book that you just read through. It's what you do is you take one or two pieces and you chew on it. You meditate on it. You look at it like a diamond from different angles to see the facets that God has made for us to understand how to have simple wisdom to live in a complicated world. Thank you. Well, that's it for this message. Uh, you can check out other podcasts in this wisdom series. In the show notes for this episode, I have a link for you. Also, you can just scan the feed for the previous one with Stan Chi on what is wisdom. If you'd like to go deeper, you can listen to interview 27 that I did with Werewolf on understanding Proverbs, and he gets into a little bit more technical information there. Um, that was a while back. Also, if you would like to get information 
about Revive 2020. You'd like to come in January of uh, 2020 meetup in Connecticut with the group. Uh, we'd love to have you come and participate. You can get information at Living Hope International Ministries, LHIM.org. And you can see on the sidebar there, there is a link for information about Revive. Or just check the show notes for this episode. I've got a link to the registration for Revive 2020 there. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to make a comment about the show today, you can come on to restitudio.org and search for episode 294, Proverbs, Simple Wisdom for a Complicated World with Jerry Weirwell, and add your voice to the mix. Also, if it wouldn't be too much trouble and you haven't done it yet, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help people to be able to find this show. And also, please share it on social media. Let people know about it. Uh, Word of mouth is our number one way of getting out there. So thanks to all of you who have listened uh, regularly to the show, and uh, welcome to those of you who are new. Uh, We'll see you next week for part three in this wisdom series. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.